Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. Happy New Year. It's coming upon us. I'm not always big on resolutions, but I think that I might do something in the Facebook group around some resolutions uh, in the next few days. I'm not sure. Keep an eye out. I also might just hunker down and get under the covers and (laughs) do nothing, but I'm thinking about it. I am. I'm thinking about it. But listen, whatever you do, You know, as with my conversation that we had last week with Michelle Dempsey, if you haven't listened to it yet, please do. It is really great. Just about forging new traditions. And so I really hope that you um, don't, if you're spending New Year's alone for the first time or whatever, like ask for what you need. Ask the people in your life to include you. Go do something special um, for start forging new traditions for yourself and make sure that you're not uh, ringing in the new year alone, unless that is what you want to do. Um, that's what I did a couple of years ago. I think it was very intentional that I wanted to be alone and I wanted to do some, you know, spiritual rituals and just sort of grounding and deepening. Um, and that was my choice. That's what I chose to do. And so if that's what you choose, awesome. Um, if that's not what you want, reach out, make some plans. Alrighty. Now, the other thing I want to tell you is that if you are sort of feeling like you are struggling through, you are coming to the end of the year and it is time for you to make some changes, make some big decisions, and you're still struggling through it, I do have a couple of spots available for private coaching um, starting in January. So get on that if you go to my website, kateanthony.com, and you go to private coaching you will see uh, an application there. So go ahead and head on over there and fill it out. And then someone from my team will respond to you and give you information about how to book the consult and so that we can get the ball rolling for you. Okay. So kateanthony.com private coaching. That is where you will find that application. And So today, let's get on to today's episode. Um, Kimberly Nelson is back with me, um, and we're talking about financial infidelity, how to see it, how to recognize it, how to find it, what to do about it, all the things. So um, as an advisor at Coastal Bridge Advisors, Kimberly Nelson focuses on bringing clarity and control to her clients' financial lives. She works with them to create a strong foundation for financial health through innovative, objectives-based wealth planning solutions with an emphasis on marriage dissolution and transition. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Kimberly Nelson about financial infidelity. Kimberly, thank you so much for coming back and talking to us about financial infidelity. 
You bet, Kate, and thank you for having me. This is a pretty important topic, and I think that it's going to resonate with an awful lot of people, especially your listeners. So thank um, you for <laughs> shining a spotlight on this important topic. Yeah, unfortunately, I think it will resonate. Um, I know it's something that I hear you know, a lot of in my group. Um, a lot of women talk about this. So let's let's start with identifying it. Like, what is financial infidelity? Like, that sounds so sort of weird, sounds, right? Sounds dirty, doesn't it? Sounds Does it? dirty, you know? Um, <laughs> it's, I think that when people hear that word infidelity, it's uh, really visions of clandestine liaisons uh, in, in the bedroom that come to mind. But mm-hmm. um, uh, a little less salacious, but probably a little more damning is, uh, is the financial variety, which is where you basically find out that you've been lied to or cheated on financially in some way. The magnitude can, can vary. It can be small or it can be kind of big, but small things usually turn into patterns and patterns or habits and habits, uh, you know, can cause a lot of destruction to mm-hmm. other things that we've built like a solid, successful marriage. So uh, even the smallest indications we can't really ignore because there could be something greater underlying that we need to address and talk about. And doing that sooner rather than later generally uh, leads to um, better options for us, you know, good decision-making, but better options, you know, such yeah. as in the marriage or, or getting out before there's too big of a problem. Yeah. So, okay. So, so what is it? What, so this is like w- weird spending you don't know about. Yeah, it's absolutely. secretive. It's having a credit card that that nobody that the other person doesn't know about. All of those things. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, some of the indicators, um, you know, would be a new credit card statement for a firm that you've never heard of. You know, if you don't have a Capital One account and suddenly there's a, a, a Capital One statement showing up to your house, whether it's got your name on it or your spouse's name. That's definitely an indicator. Um, and here's something else, by the way, if, if, a, if a credit card statement or some kind of statement is coming to your home with you, just your spouse's name on it, uh, opening that mail, even if you're married, that's still mail fraud. So be careful of that. It's one of those things you want to note and ask them about it. But if you are headed toward a, a, a separation, don't open mail that doesn't have your name on it, <laughs> number one. So you should you should ask, though, what that is. It could be a credit card statement, could be an asset statement, could be that they're saving money in some other location that you don't know about for God knows what purpose. You know, you want to find out about that also. But um, if your name has suddenly been removed from a joint account or a joint credit card, that's another good indicator um, that they're hiding something because they don't want you to see those charges or they just don't want you to see whatever's going on in there. Same mm. thing if if you um, attempt to log in to check a bank account that you normally check and suddenly your password's not working anymore. Although that's kind of something that just happens to the best of us on a regular, <laughs> on the regular, because we, you know, totally. with all the two-factor authentication that goes on out there, you know, you, you wouldn't want to hit the panic button on that one too soon. But you know, if you're unable to log in. That's something that's really interesting. It came up really recently in um, my uh, community call. I have a community call every month with all of my people in all of my programs. And this is one of this topic came up where someone was, she, she's trying to gain access to all of her accounts, right? Because Mm -hmm. she hasn't had her own logins and passwords. Mm -hmm. And so because her husband has two factor authentication set up, he gets notified every time she's attempting to log in with his passwords, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And she's trying to get the financial, you know, what's so yep. on everything in preparation for leaving 
but she doesn't have her own logins. We should all have our own logins, correct? To Absolutely. our all of our own accounts, all of the accounts, right? You shouldn't any be account you're a party to. Absolutely. Right. Any yeah, because because then if things if you're starting to look into things, the other person, if you're if you're sharing a password, they're getting notified that mm -hmm. you're looking into things. And then, it, you know, they may be asking questions that you're not prepared to answer yet because you're not ready to have the conversation or whatever. Right. So yeah, and, and case number one, you know, when when people do go to file for divorce or a legal separation or what have you, because, you know, I know that a lot of your listeners are coming to you and, and, to, and for, for support in that area, mm -hmm. you know, um, having your own passwords and your own login is exceptionally important because you could be cut off instantly. He, I mean, he can change that password really fast and suddenly you don't have the documentation to provide for your attorneys. And I think the, the number one cause of delay for negotiations and settlements is lack of documentation or slow discovery or something like that, where right. you know that this thing exists, but you have no way to get a hold of it because your husband always handled it or took care of it or has sole ownership um, over the information. And that's really a problem. Waiting on him to provide that stuff can take forever and cost you a lot of legal fees as well. That's right. I mean, look, if there's one thing, if there's one message that I want women to have, it is to have financial agency to you. Women need to know everybody. I mean, everybody needs to know, right? Everybody needs to know the what so on all of your accounts. And if you, you know, work with like a business manager or you work with, you know, um, a financial person who, you know, like yourself, who may like, may have like, there may be a portal or whatever, like log into that often, yep. log into it every month, at least so that you know, what's going on, mm -hmm. know what accounts there are. Right. So if you get a capital one statement to your house, you actually know that that's a new statement, you know, what's going on in your financial world. Um, and if, you know, and if you go and you ask your husband, Hey, like, what's this, what's this capital one thing. And he's kind of cagey about it. Make a note of it because in discovery, you're going to say, I know there's a capital one account. Yeah, absolutely. That's <laughs> right? a big indicator right there too, Kate. That's a big red flag. If you're asking questions and your spouse seems unsure or hesitant about talking about it, well, then there's something wrong. You know, that's we, right. we're happy to talk about anything that we have a lot of confidence about or if, if we're not trying to hide something, we'll share it with anybody, you know, especially our spouse. So if they are being cagey, then, um, you know, you know that this kind of deserves a, a greater that's look. Right. That's mean, right. <laughs> if they're being cagey, y'all, that's a red flag. Big one. And, and, and that goes hand in hand with just general paranoia as well. If you notice your spouse with this undercurrent of paranoia that just wasn't there before, um, it could be that they're really worried about a situation that is brewing and you don't know about, or they're worried about something that you might find out about and they don't want you to find out about it. I mean, I, um, I have a, a good friend who um, found out that there was a, a credit card that her husband had taken out a couple of years prior. He bought a couple things on it for two grand. It wasn't a big deal. You know, she makes quite a bit of money and he does as well, but he'd taken out this credit card and he did it, um, it was right around the time the pandemic hit and he did it because he wanted to buy a couple of things that he didn't really think they should be buying at that moment. And he didn't really want to have to tell her about it, but she found that credit card statement just laying around. And what's funny is that the two grand wasn't the issue. It was that he hit it, you know, that mm -hmm. was the problem. Mm -hmm. And these were sure. two that, um, you know, they seem happily married. You never know what goes on inside someone's marriage, but they didn't have any issues. And suddenly there was an issue now because this had been kept a secret. Open and honest communication you know, usually solves most of the world problems here. So if you can 
keep that line of communication open. If you see something that doesn't look right, don't let it wait. Just ask right. and find out what it is. And gauging by their reaction, you'll know if it deserves further further um, investigation. That's right. Part. That's right. And it does matter. Look, I mean, at the end of the day, in almost I think all states, right? When you you're you know you're dividing assets and debts. If you're if you're getting divorced, you are equally responsible for all of the debt mm. incurred in the marriage. So if someone's taking out a credit card that you don't know about, when you divide your assets and your debts, then you're responsible for it. So it does matter. It matters quite a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it, it's really easy to show that uh, a debt was joint while you're still married and you could equally be responsible for paying it back. And when you, you know, if you do wind up uh, dissolving your marriage and you go to court over that, you're probably going to be hit with half the debt. If you're taking half the assets, you'll be getting hit with half the debt unless it can truly be proven that it was, um, you know, for, for his sole, um, you know, benefit, which it's, it's mm -hmm. very tough to prove that during a marriage. Very, very tough. Another thing to, to look out for is that, that I've seen a lot is um, spouses taking credit cards out in their spouse's name. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Which that's on your credit report. So you should be, we should all be checking our credit reports. You know, we should have credit karma set up. We should, you know, have all of these notifications set up so that, you know, um, or, you know, I was a victim of identity theft. So I have a freeze on my credit, mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> you know, that, and it's really easy, right? Anytime yep. I need it, I unfreeze it. And then I apply for whatever it is that I need. And then I freeze it back up yep. and, um, or you can set a freeze you know, and you can unfreeze it for like 72 hours or something. And so, yeah, exactly. right. Like I was refinancing my car loan the other day, like a couple of weeks ago. And I just said, Hey, so what I need you, I need you to tell me which credit union <laughs> you check, mm. um, you know, and they told me, and then I unfroze that one and then it was good to go. But if you're not checking your credit report and then all of a sudden you have like all of this shit on there and you don't know anything about it, like, mm -hmm. Whoa, that's dangerous. Absolutely. Credit. And then that's just good life advice. You know, I mean, yeah. you never know what someone could get a hold of. For those that don't know, you can actually pull your credit report for free three times a year. And here's how you do it. Okay. Each of the bureaus, Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion, they will each give you one free credit report per year. Okay. And you don't have to put in a credit card for it. Okay. If they ask you for a credit card, you're on the wrong site. Okay. That's right. That's uh, right. You go straight to their websites. You do not go to freecreditreport.com. If the website has the word free in it, it's not free. They're going to ask you for a credit card. So if you go straight to Equifax, Experian, or TransUnion, you can request your credit report. So I recommend doing it in January, May, and then again, like in, you know, September, because you can do it three times a year. So check it each time. So if you want to. Each one lets you do it once a year. So you do Correct. Equifax in January, Experion in May, and then, and then yeah, okay. TransUnion in, in September, exactly. So you can, you can check. And each of the three will have the same information. Don't panic if your scores are not the same with all three. They, they do weight different things differently. And uh, for those of you who are wondering how bad it's going to hit your credit if you close down uh, one of your credit cards, not that big of a deal. Okay. Your, your debt to income ratio is a big deal. That does not mean credit extended to you. That means current debt that you are using versus your income. Okay. So as long as that stays the same, closing one of the lines of credit is not going to harm your credit. Okay. Um, 
That's you do want to leave some lines open so that you have access and you don't want to have no credit. But uh, dropping your available credit from $50,000 down to 40 is not going to hurt your score. The, the other big thing are lates. Make sure that you don't have any late payments. And, you know, looking at your at your credit score and um, or your credit report and, you know, encouraging your husband or your wife to do that with you. Um, do it together. Make it a thing you both do. Um, you know, then you're both putting it all out on the table for each other and uh, you can help each other. You know, um, you're a team. And, and even if you are the kind of spouse that has uh, not really wanted to be involved in finances and you've always trusted your spouse, your, your husband or your wife with that, that's okay too. But, you know, keep in mind that these, these large companies, these large corporations, Department A updates Department B on important things so that they know what's going on. Department B is not doing Department A's job, but Department A is not doing it in a vacuum where Department B has no idea what's happening or what's mm -hmm. going on. That's right. That's Department right. Sit with each other and they talk about it and they keep each other informed. And if Department B needs to do something different so that Department A can increase their, their multiples or their figures, they're going to let B know what to do. So be open to that. And I think that, um, you know, that's... Um, the best way to kind of prevent this, if you will, but we'll yeah. talk about prevention in a minute, but yeah, but spotting it, Kate, you're right. You know, it's, it's important just to really be aware and know what things are supposed to look like. So that if something's out of order, you can instantly recognize it and kind of nip it in the bud right there. That's right. If you don't see it on a credit card statement or you're not, what are some other signs that you might be the victim of some financial infidelity? You know, if you if you see um, like your checking account balance is lower than you thought it should be, or if, you, if your spouse is taking out cash and you're not really sure where that cash is going necessarily, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, I think that if you also hear your spouse misrepresenting your financial picture, like at a party to friends or family or something, you know, not that we generally talk about that stuff at parties, but, you know, if, if, if it just kind of seems like he's making things look rosier than you know that they are. Uh, that could be an issue. You know, if he's um, bragging about the new boat that he wants to buy next year, you know, things like that. When people are presenting something other than what's factual, that's kind of uh, worth an eyebrow raise and say, hey, where'd that come from? You know, is that really what you think we're going to do next year? You know, if you mm -hmm. were just having a beer and talking with your buddies and I overheard it, you know, out of the, you know, then that's one thing. But like, why would we, would we say stuff like that? You know? Right, it's, right. It's always, um, good to check in with their expectations and see what they're planning on, on doing. Cause if, if they're talking about it, chances are good that that's what they're intending to do. And if that wasn't your intention, then uh, reconciling that with them and uh, figuring that out, that would be another sign If you know, really anytime you catch anybody fibbing or saying something that's untrue, you know, you have to wonder what the motivations are behind it. Yeah. Interesting. Another thing that, that you talked about is if they're suddenly stressed about money, Mm -hmm. But as far as you can see, right, everything yep. seems fine. Like, yep. why are we, why are you so stressed? Yeah. They know something you don't. That's why they're stressed. <laughs> right. So, exactly. I'm like <laughs> maybe there's a gambling debt that you don't know about. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. You know, yeah. um, that's, I mean, that has happened. I mean, I've worked with a lot of, a lot of clients, a uh, lot, a lot of clients that have divorced, as you know, Kate, and they all have a slightly different story, but there's a very similar undercurrent. And this all started with someone doing something that they shouldn't have done and then lying about it. <laughs> Usually where it all starts, but right. I have seen the, the gambling debts and how people have tried to hide that. Um, most recently, I brought on a client who, um, whose uh, husband had been lying to her for years about going to work as an attorney when in fact his business had completely dried up and he was not 
working as an attorney anymore. And uh, they had never adjusted their spending habits. And he was actually borrowing from family in order to support you know, their lifestyle basically. And she had no idea. Oh my God. She finally found out. And she found out at the point when the house simply had to be sold and um, there was oh, no other option. Weird. So for her, it was really a painful, harsh reality. And she was a little bit older. She's in her seventies when all of this happened. Mm, and so mm. I do understand that there was a time uh, in the deep, dark past uh, we don't do this anymore, ladies, obviously, but husbands just handled the finances and, and uh, women just, um, you know, spent what it was that they thought they could spend. And, and unless the husband corrected them, they didn't change their, their patterns. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. He never corrected her. She had no idea. Although she did kind of know there was something wrong. She saw the stress coming through, but it was way too late by the time everything was figured out. They are actually still married. They're clients of mine together. I think they, I think they would be headed toward divorce, except that financially, they're still better off together. Um, the, the two of them running separate households, divorce really wouldn't be an option. Wow. So, you know, again, that thing that we talked about at the start of the call is that bringing things out into the open, you know, like a fine wine, it's, it's better off if it's decanted for a little while, right? It needs to open up, get aired out. Many different choices could have been made that would have saved them from being in a place where they had to move out of the house they've lived in for 30 years. So, um, that is tragic, you know, and so of course, how do we fix that going forward? You know, we, um, we budget with them, show them a path toward, um, meeting as many goals as possible and, uh, setting up a reliable income stream through a portfolio. You know, that's the way it's done, but that'll be a discussion for a different day. But at any rate, this does happen <laughs> to people. If good right. people find themselves in this position and, and good people can make a series of bad decisions that, that wind up snowballing and it becomes harder and harder to come clean about. What's interesting too, Kate, we should be encouraging anybody listening to think about their own behavior and what if they're the ones committing the financial infidelity? You know, what if it's you? That's great. That's great. You know, a few little brown Bloomingdale's bags at the back of the closet, you know, that's where it starts. Yeah, I mean, I, right. I don't think mm-hmm. that that big of a deal either. You know, you uh, fib about the the real cost of those shoes. You know, they weren't, they weren't, uh, they weren't 300, they were only 200 because they were 299. So you call it, you call it 200, you know, rounding down. Um, but, you know, at the same time, um, you need to stop and think about why you aren't telling the full truth and, you know, what the consequences could be later on. You know, I mean, it's, um, unless you're fibbing because you bought him a birthday gift, I don't know if uh, uh-huh, it's uh-huh. really a great idea to get started on those patterns because it usually does start getting bigger and bigger when you get away with something small. So you need to really turn inward and think about your level of honesty as well. And, um, you know, what, what you're sharing with your spouse and, and is it a hundred percent true? And what is now, you know, if you know that you're kind of going towards divorce or you're really in that space of like, you're in that between space where you know that that's what you want to do and you haven't had the conversation yet. And, you know, one of the, you know, top pieces of advice people give is like, start stashing cash. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Start, you know, and, and, and I think that I want to be clear about this is that when I suggest stashing cash and stuff like that, it's really, it's not that this is money that you're not going to disclose. Sure. Okay. Like it's really important that we understand that this is not money that you're not going to disclose. This is mm-hmm. money so that you are sure that you are going to have access Yep. to your own money, right? If you're, if you have a concern that your spouse may shut down, change all the passwords and like you are in this, you've been, you've been financially abused. You're going to want to start stashing cash. Not, not that you won't disclose it, 
but so that you actually have access to something, right? Yep. And so do we consider that financial infidelity? You know, and, and that's a really good question too, Kate. That's a really good question. And I think that, um, you know, anybody that's getting ready to file for divorce, you know, um, you're keeping a little secret or maybe it is out in the open, who knows, but you're keeping a little secret that's going to be made known really, really shortly. And this isn't about not lying. This is about you still being able to feed your children uh, if he has an emotional reaction to this divorce filing. That's what that's about. And you're 100% right. None of it is done in a nefarious attempt to hide assets or steal something from the community. It's just done so that you're able to still make your rent payment or your mortgage payment and, um, and, and pay for for food for you and your kids. You know, um, I have absolutely seen spouses fly off the handle and literally call the bank and claim fraud and shut the checking account down, you know, and there's nothing wrong with stashing six months of living expenses in cash in an account that bears only your name that you are going to freely provide statements to his legal team for every single month, because you're going to expect him to do the same. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, I think getting cut off of community assets is trick number one that I usually see the husbands committing against the wives, you know, for whatever reason in the, in the high net worth divorce space, um, which is where I play really, it tends to be that the husband has kind of got control of the network and he's had the bigger job and whatnot. And so he's made more of the money. Typically it's just been the dynamic that is changing and uh, more power to the ladies for making that change that it's a, a great story that we're rewriting here, but in the, in the, in the past, that's kind of how it's been. And so she usually, I see that in, in not high net worth as, as well. So I think that Same. this, this, yeah. this covers, this covers a lot of bases, mm-hmm. right? We have yep. a lot of, you know, unfortunately we have, with the cost of childcare in our country, um, for many women, the choice to stay home with their kids isn't really a choice because it co- it would cost more for them to go to work and have they they'd, they'd have to pay out more in childcare. Yep. And, and fortunately, hopefully, this is in the next few years going to change with yeah. Biden's new agenda. So this automatically disempowers women financially. Right. It, it does. Because, you know, whenever you're entering into a business transaction and you have just less knowledge about the way the whole thing works versus the other person, the other party, yep. uh, you're at a disadvantage, yep. you know, and that's why you need that team around you. And actually you and I did a great podcast a couple of years ago, Kate, about how to get prepared. So yep. I encourage anybody who uh, is feeling like they need to get prepared to go back and listen to that because we give a lot of tools um, about what to do to prepare yourself if you are going to file. And having a credit card that's solely in your name and a checking account that's solely in your name are two of those things. Um, And again, we're not talking about opening up credit cards that he doesn't know about in his name. Okay, we're not doing that. But you might want to close joint lines of credit or at least um, put a hold on them so that no more charges can be made, okay, by either of you and Mm -hmm. have your own have your own credit card. Additionally, you know, if you're in a position where you, you do need support from him, and he is, he is the sole earner, because technically, once you separate, if he wants to funnel his paychecks into a separate account, he's allowed to do that too. So you'll need to hustle out for a temporary support order if you are reliant on his continued support during the next few months while you hash out your, you know, yeah. your negotiations here. But, um, but I don't think, to get back to your original question, Kate, I don't think that it really constitutes infidelity to prepare yourself for what's about to happen, you know? Right. And, um, and if he asks questions about 30 grand being missing from the community checking, you say, I understand I've got a separate account and I wrote that check. And if you want to do the same right now, I completely understand that community account is going to stay community 
um, but I'm going to spend out of my personal account here. I'm hoping that you'll do the same and then we'll agree on how much to fund our separate accounts with from community as time goes on. But for right now, this is just where I need to be. But you do need to make sure that, that you're taking care of and your children, of course, too. You know, that mm-hmm. you're still, That's right. Um, yeah. But, um, but, you know, of course, when people file for divorce, it's, there's a lot of emotion there and people act emotionally and not logically um, and definitely not rationally either. So, you know, you have to anticipate a strong emotional reaction. And oftentimes people think about what's going to hurt the other person because they're feeling hurt and they they know it will hurt to go cut off that, uh, that money stream. So they, yeah. they do that first. So, yep. I mean, I, I have clients whose husbands are doing that right now. Just suddenly the paychecks, the paychecks are not into not going into joint account into the joint account and you know they're mid divorce separation and there isn't a temporary support in place i think that Mm -hmm. getting temporary support in place is probably a priority it's a must yep right like first thing because and i think that we don't think about that and we kind of just go through and then all of a sudden when they get pissed off and they stop funding the joint account, mm-hmm. you're screwed. Yeah, absolutely. Right? absolutely. Yeah. And, and then usually what winds up happening after that is the, um, the children become pawns in the whole mm-hmm. thing, because if, uh, you know, of course you're going to appeal to him on the, on the, the fact that his children aren't getting what they need. And then of course he usually comes back with, well, then send the kids to me if you can't take care of them, that kind of, a, you know, right. all sorts of, of things like that underhanded things happen. So yep. we want to make sure that that doesn't happen, you know, to us. And I think that, you know, it's okay, again, if one spouse is taking responsibility for the oversight of the family's finances, but again, department A and department B, they sit down at least quarterly and they talk about what's going on, you know, and in the case of my clients there, had he sat down with her and been honest about his work situation, she could have then been a partner with him in changing the course of this whole story. You know, they could have spent a lot less. They could have started looking around for a different home that was going to cost less. They could have stopped going out to those expensive Santa Monica restaurants that we all love, of course. But, you know, you have to live within your reality and you have to be honest with yourself. The options are very limited when you let this go on for a very long time, as theirs were. She's doing a great job of, um, of getting things back on track, but it has been really painful, you know, and I hate watching people that I care about go through these, these painful times. And well, and especially at that age, you know, it's, it's like, tough. that's, that's retirement time. And now they're like, everything is different. That's really, yeah. Yeah. Awful. And so for, for those of you that are going through things like this and in, in your thirties, forties, even fifties, you do still have time on your side. So just yeah. know that by uh, doing the hard thing, which is sitting down and facing this, getting your arms around your budget, budget, getting your arms around, you know, you're spending, you're saving, you're earning all of that stuff. There is still a lot you can do. And the scariest step is the very first one. There are resources out there so that you don't have to do this alone. And quite frankly, Kate, right. you know, you're, you're, website and, and all of the resources that you bring, I think are, um, you know, really empowering women who have never done this before. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break and hear from one of our sponsors. Wait, 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 don't go anywhere. Seriously, don't go anywhere. Cause guess what? It's me. <laughs> I'm the sponsor. This is an ad for my program. Should you stay or should you go? You know that when I was in the depths of despair, struggling to decide whether or not to leave my marriage, I wanted a burning bush. I wanted someone or something to tell me clearly it's time to go or stay and you'll get through this. It's just a phase. I desperately wanted 
to protect my son from the fallout of divorce, but I wasn't sure if I was doing more damage by staying in my toxic marriage. What I know now is that instead of a burning bush, what I really needed was a system. There was an enormous stack of emotional boxes at my feet, and I needed someone to help me sort through them, like a Marie Kondo, but for my life. But of course, back in 2008, nothing like that existed. And since it didn't exist for me, it became my life's mission to create it for you. Should I Stay or Should I Go is the only online coaching program designed to help you make the right decision about your marriage once and for all. In this groundbreaking online coaching program, you will unlock the support, education, and deep transformational work you need to finally answer your most burning question. Should I stay or should I go? So head on over to my website, kateanthony.com, click on should I stay and sign up for the program or find the link in the show notes and sign up for the program today. Best of all, As a listener to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, you get $50 off. Use the code DSGPOD at checkout and $50 will be taken off your purchase. You do not need to suffer any longer. I got you. Back to our regular scheduled program. Okay, so let's say like you suspect there's financial infidelity. Uh You're like you know, <laughs> stuff, stuff is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you, what do you do? How do you have that conversation? Absolutely. I mean, it's a hard conversation to have. And for those of us that like to avoid confrontation, it's going to feel kind of like a confrontation. So I think that step number one is to just never be accusatory, you know, approach everything from just a fact finding place and a not curiosity, a, a curiosity. Right? Mm-hmm, yeah, not mm-hmm. what did you do? Because I see a statement here that I don't know anything, you know, not right. Not right. That. <laughs> you think about, you know, I, I guess I always, um, when I approach these things, I try to, at least I'm not perfect either, but I try to approach it from a, there's a piece of the puzzle that I don't have. And that's why it looks this way to me. So if I give this person a chance to explain what I'm seeing, you know, from their perspective, they might fill in that missing piece and then suddenly it will make perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. You know, that's right. that could happen. So you, you want to approach it, not that something horrible has gone on, but that something happened that you just don't understand. And so you just need them to, to uh, help you with that. Money too can be something that a lot of women, for the reasons we've talked about, they're not as comfortable around it. And so they don't feel as empowered to sit down and ask questions and, you know, hold their husband's feet to the fire over something that may have gone wrong, some transgression or something else. So there's not a whole lot of, um, of uh, confidence in that, yeah. you know? And so if you don't accuse though, it's really, really easy to create a safe space for them to share and explain all this to you. So you want to try to figure out exactly what the problem is. And then of course, when you come to the table, be ready to be completely honest yourself. You know, chances are really good that if he's done a couple of things, you might have as well, you know, it could be that um, within your relationship, you both um, have, you know, not been 100% honest. So just be ready to, you know, share whatever it is that that maybe you were worried he might find out about. Because if you're creating that safe space where it's okay to be vulnerable, by you showing a little vulnerability, it's going to open the door for him or her to do the same. I don't want to just assume that it's always the husband that seems to know everything and the woman doesn't. 
when you sit down and talk, funny how the whole answer to this question, basically, Kate, is all about talking. So it's all about communication. communication. I mean, so so many of life's little problems, doesn't it? You can start to not by digging in on that specific issue. You know, I found a statement that I don't know about what did you buy, but you reassess your goals together. You think Mm -hmm. about what it is that we're trying to accomplish financially as a team, as a family, you know, what do we want in the future? And does this fit with that? Maybe it's yes. Maybe uh, there's a a secret savings account and maybe he was planning on telling you about it. Maybe, um, you know, who knows what his, what his motivation was for setting that up. Maybe he didn't realize it was only in his name. Maybe, you know, truly maybe he didn't know. Right. And so, you know, um, if your partner has a different set of goals in mind than you have, then you just need to reassess that together and just all be on the same page. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, so that'll that'll certainly help. If it is a spending issue, of course, you want to reassess your budget together then. If he's buying something, you know, maybe he's uh, helping out a family member or something that's fallen on hard times and he, you know, everyone's embarrassed and they don't want anybody else to know about it. You know, it could be something like that. But of course, Um, spousal privilege says that we still have to tell our spouse and you can both keep the secret together. You know, it could be that they had the very best of intentions and um, didn't want anyone to know about it. So, right. So curiosity does go right. Rather than accusations, curiosity, just, just direct communication. Hey, I noticed this thing. What's going on? You know, or even, Hey, I noticed this thing. Is there anything that I should be doing or knowing about pertaining to, to this? Cause this is new to me. Mm-hmm. It's something like that, you know, just this is new and I don't, I don't understand what this is, you know, and then yeah. they might say, oh yeah, well, honey, that's the, uh, you know, that's the new thing. I told you about it last month that I was thinking about doing it. And so I had to get it set up and here it is, you know, I mean, it, it could be something like that. Mm-hmm. Additionally, if you do sit down and have this discussion and, and, and it doesn't quite go as rosy as I'm painting it right now, then seeking counseling together is probably a good idea because oftentimes yeah. when there's financial infidelity, there's, there's other underlying issues to the marriage. You know, if right. the communication has broken down in some way and you might need just the help of an independent third party to, to help you get to the root of those issues. If not a, uh, a therapist, like a, a psychologist or um, uh, you know, therapist from, from that realm, um, a financial professional who can be an, you know, an independent third party between the two of you, if, if you are disagreeing about things that are financially related because they can take uh, an objective look at your overall situation and propose a budget that makes sense given your goals. You know, the mm-hmm. two of you say you want to retire at this age and you want to have a vacation home in the Hamptons or just, you know, pay off debt that you both have incurred during the marriage. They can help you set those goals and give you a reasonable, um, you know, level of spending that'll help you achieve it. So if you right. both can agree yeah. and you both move forward, you know, then it works and the marriage can be saved in that way. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Kate, like when I, when I think about just infidelity, there's sexual infidelity, relationship infidelity, where maybe even just an emotional infidelity. But what's funny is that it feels like if you decide to go ahead and divorce after something like that, it does, the sting doesn't last as long as financial infidelity. Like you could be living with that for a very, very long time. Sure. And so, the impact of it is, is, I mean, yeah, right. The the impact of of the emotional infidelity or the sexual infidelity, that's an emotional impact and you can right. and you actually I think you have some control over your healing process. Absolutely. But when it's financial and there's money that's gone. Yes, <laughs> right? Like you there's not you don't have a lot of control over that. Yeah, no it's it's hard to just get that back. I mean, I think uh-huh. that we 
know that money's a lot harder to make than it is to spend. And, and once it's gone, you know, like that, it, it's really hard to undo that. You know, there are things you can do if there was uh, emotional or physical infidelity. You know, you can go to counseling. You, you can talk about it. You can decide that this isn't a situation you want to be in. Take your half of the money and go. But, you know, if you find out that they've been essentially cheating on you with money, well, then your half of the money is a lot less than it was before by, by no uh, choice of your own. And now you have to move on from that place. While uh, the other kind of cheating is, is more, I guess, morally reprehensible, the financial is, is much longer lasting and can be harder to recover from, in my opinion, which makes yeah. it maybe more significant. Uh, that's kind of a flippant uh, thing to say if there are any listeners out there that have been cheated on. Um, from an emotional or physical standpoint, because that does hurt. It, it stings. It's a really, really tough one. But absolutely, um, absolutely. But finances, you know, it's it, it can be harder to get back to square zero where you were before um, with finances. Absolutely. Oof. Yeah. So, all right. So now, what if this is like really egregious? Like you're pretty sure. You know, like I had a a client once years ago whose husband had spent like $50,000 on his mistress, Uh, you know, (laughs) like, like that, like, and, and it wasn't getting better and he was continuing to lie about it. Things like that. Like, Mm -hmm. what if this is like, this is not, you're going to, you're going to get curious. Yep. They're not going to tell you the truth. They're, you know, pretty hell bent on throwing you under the bus. Yep for whatever reason, what do you do? So in that case, I mean, if the guy has been cheating on you financially and physically and everything else, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and assume that this is a marriage we're not staying in. So right. yeah, okay, <laughs> we're not right. staying here. Good. Okay. No. Um, so, so you're going to go ahead and, and press toward a divorce. You're going to do your level best to prove what expenses were community and what expenses were not. And if he truly spent 50 grand on his mistress, and by the way, Kate, I've seen this happen before too. So, yeah. you know, this, yeah. this is probably a little more common than we'd all care to think. Unfortunately, and by the way, I need to check myself here because anyone who's in my Facebook group is yelling at me right now. I don't, I don't actually don't like the word mistress because I think it's a derogatory term for women. Yeah, you I know, think you're, usually you're right. the affair partner is completely innocent and doesn't, you know, is being told some fucking lie Could be. Could about be. all of it. So That's true. I, yeah. ch- I'm checking myself, y'all. If you're yelling at me, I'm checking myself. You're right. Right. So mm-hmm. this person spent that much money on his affair partner. Yeah. Sorry. Checking myself. The affair partner may have known the situation. Maybe didn't. We can't, can't hold them responsible for that, That's which right. they're not aware. But at any rate, if he has been spending 50 grand on his affair partner here, then um, if you can show that he was paying for hotels and dinners that were not work related and that did not involve you, uh-huh. that, that, that is definitely a, um, you know, a, a good thing to bring up with your attorneys. It can happen in negotiations where his spending is attributed to him prior to the separation and hers to her. Okay. So, you know, again, um, it's tough. It can be really difficult, but when you go in to negotiate everything, if he really did spend 50 grand over here on, on that, um, on that affair partner, then 
you might be negotiating for some other things. He may want just a, a quick, clean break, and he doesn't want to go to trial either, guys, because trial is very expensive. So in a settlement negotiation, you're both looking to be 70% happy. No one's going to be 100. But if we can each get to 70, that's good enough, you know, because we're going to avoid the, the, the trial. And, and that's very, very costly if it has to go that's to that right. place. With your attorneys, whether you're doing a collaborative divorce, a mediation, or, you know, a true settlement uh, prior to trial, trying to avoid that, you know, you talk to both sides and say, look, let's be real. You spent 50 grand over here on this uh, side piece of yours that had nothing to do with me. That's going to be attributed to your half of the community. Okay. You know, and if, if I went and bought a horse for our daughter without your, um, without your knowledge or your acceptance, then that comes out of my half of community. I get it. You know, mm-hmm. if I That's right. went and bought myself a vacation with my girlfriends, that comes out of my half. Okay. I get it. You left me two years before we actually filed for divorce. You left me the minute you started having the affair. You just forgot to tell me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to pay for it. That's you know, right. yeah. That's the thing. Now, legally, what can be done? This is where we, um, I, uh, I, I moved past my, uh, my training as a financial advisor and I, I don't have, uh, a JD. So I'm not an attorney. So again, just consult your attorneys on, on these issues. You know, if it goes to trial, you know, proof is going to be really important. Um, proof is, 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 is going to get you where you want to go. It can be tough to prove though. So again, by making sure that you have access to all these statements, that you can see all of these things, mm-hmm. uh, that's very important. I once had a client, this was several years ago and she was divorced and um, I'm sorry, not divorced, forgive me. Her husband passed away and they had a son who was about 10 and she found out after he'd passed that he had an affair partner and he had for a couple of years and he had actually funneled money into a trust for his affair partner. He was quite a bit older than his spouse. He was in his mid seventies and his spouse was in her forties and they'd been married for more than 10 years. They had the son, but but he'd actually taken their community assets and given it in trust to his uh, side piece, his, his little uh, insignificant other, if you will. My client had to go to court to try to get this trust money back. Wow. And it was, it was mm-hmm. tough trying to prove that, first of all, it was his separate property or was not his separate property that he gave, sorry, that it was actually marital property. Sure. That in and of itself was kind of tough. And what wound up happening is the, uh, the judgment went... Uh, not to either party, but to the son. The uh, the That's judge right. determined this money will not go back to the uh, to the spouse, and it will not stay with the side piece. It will go to the young son. So he had it placed in trust for the child. So totally appropriate. And I yeah, and I'm sure she the was. mom was perfectly happy with that. She right, as a mother, I would be. She right. was. Although you know, I'm sensitive to you know, people who maybe aren't in as fortuitous of a, of a financial position, they right. might really need that money to make their mortgage. And there are rules around how that money can be spent. So, right. you know, documentation is key. Everything that you can possibly do to make your attorney's discovery process more smooth, easier, and just filling in those blanks is going to uh, not only save you legal fees, but help you to be more successful in the end in getting what you want, getting getting what's uh, rightfully due to you. It, it's a tough thing to do, and you're probably going to uncover some things that you just really didn't want to know about either, yeah. and that that is hard too. So that is hard. You know, um, again, just getting yourself some emotional resources and support also a, a great thing to do at that time, and seeking counsel from your attorneys if you're starting to uncover some things, asking them what would be helpful to see. You know, you can really aid in in uh, your own situation by, Mm -hmm. by taking, taking control of it. 
Yeah. One of the things that, you know, people talk about often is getting a a forensic accountant, right? Mm -hmm. So like if if your spouse, your soon-to-be-ex, whatever, is not being honest about stuff and you know there is stuff hidden or they're not being honest, a lot of people say like hire a forensic accountant. That can be really, really, really expensive. It will be really, really expensive. (laughs) That's a guarantee. Yes. Yes. So, you know, what I advise my clients, you know, when they're like, I, I, he's not, you know, he's, he's hiding money. He's not being honest. He's this, that, and the other, you know, I say, first, let's have a conversation where you say, so listen, you can, you can continue to be dishonest. I'm going to have to hire a forensic accountant, which is going to come out of the community, you know, uh, property here. Mm -hmm. That's going to cost between 10 and Mm $50,000. Is your dishonesty worth 10 to $50,000 in this? And then if they do find it, right, there is a, there is a legal um, case to be made that that should come out of that, that the forensic accountant should come out of his, absolutely (laughs) right. His pocket, absolutely, yep, right. Mm -hmm. Because he's the one hiding it. So like, is that really like, are you really committed to that committed to this lie? (laughs) Right. Exactly. That's, I love how you just uh, articulated that. How committed to this lie are you? Because I am that committed that it is a lie. That's right. What's, and what's funny with the forensic accountant, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. They're very expensive. They can be very useful. That's why we have forensic accountants. You have to think too to yourself, is the juice worth the squeeze? You know, is what we are standing right. to achieve, is it worth the cost? You have to think about That's it right. as well. Because if if you think that he's hiding something and he's hiding 25 grand, you know, that might not be worth it. You may want to just work something out in, in the, in the negotiations, just say, you know what? I want an extra 200 bucks a month in child support. Okay. I am not going to hold your feet to the fire over this investment that I'm pretty sure you're still in, but I want another 200 to make this go away for you, Bob, mm-hmm. or whatever the guy's name is. You just, just let him know. And, and he might be willing to, to do that too. For most of my li- listeners, right? 25 grand is a lot of fucking money. Yeah, it is. And yeah. you know, the, for me, that's a lot of fucking sure, money. It is. and if it's going to cost you 40 grand to find the 25 grand yeah, then- that you're only really, you only get 12 and a half of, right? Like Ah. Well, you're actually going to lose. I mean, that's a losing proposition. If you exactly. spend 40 to find 25, then you both mm-hmm. just lost basically exactly. you just lost, you know, yeah. like six grand essentially, you know, so that's, that's the whole thing. You've got to um, kind of have some understanding of, of what there is to get. And I'll tell you how we get that understanding, by the way, if it is an investment or it's something related to his business that you think he's undervaluing. We just need to get that business tax return and that'll answer a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. So in mm-hmm. discovery, of course, your attorney needs to request that tax return and they should, and he needs to turn it over. Um, but when we look at that tax return, we can see what the revenues are, what the, um, what the expenses are and expenses are where a lot of these small business owners fudge, you know, and they, uh, they show that they're making a lot less than they actually are because of those uh, expenses. So you have to do a deep dive on those expenses. And, and this is where a forensic accountant can be very helpful. Right. Um, if this guy's got a business that's generating revenue of $3 million and he's got expenses of 2 million, that's worth a look. Okay. If his business generated a hundred grand and he has expenses of 25, I'd probably take him at his word. Right. You know, so you have to think about what there is to actually get, you know, and and a lot of people too, a lot of clients that are not in the high work, not high net worth space, you know, a lot of people that are going through divorce, 
they want to do it themselves. They want to mediate it. They want yes. to do a collaborative divorce. Those are the best kind. They really are the best kind. When you go to trial, and even when you're sitting at a settlement, there's a there's a judge, usually a retired judge that sits through the settlements. You really are turning the decision-making over to a third party, over to somebody else. They're making decisions about you, your future, your finances, your children. Even if it's a deal that you don't love, you and your soon-to-be ex-spouse are almost always better off deciding something between the two of you versus not being able to come to the middle anywhere and literally turning that over 100% to a third party. I've sat through settlements. I've sat through mediations, um, you know, assisting my clients and and helping make their arguments with their attorneys. Again, I'm not an attorney. I don't give legal advice. I give financial advice. So I can be very helpful on that side of things. Um, It's almost always better to just negotiate something and settle. You try to see the other person's perspective, try to find something in the middle that is a fair but be equitable and just know that equitable doesn't always mean equal. So be ready to give a little bit yourself. Okay. We're looking for 70% happy, not a hundred. Okay. It's tough. I mean, if you have children together, especially you have to have some way to maintain a relationship with that person. That's not completely antagonistic and, and horrible on a, on a going forward basis. So, yeah. So you sort of have to sort of, how important is it? And sometimes you have to give up maybe some of the fight Mm -hmm. to preserve the relationship so that you can continue to co-parent for your children. Right. And, and these are the, these are the really hard decisions, part, some of the many hard decisions we have to make um, Mm -hmm. as we go through divorce. And here's a little, a little tip too, Kate, I'm sure you've heard this one before, but just for anybody who hasn't, if you're in an argument about money and you're sitting there at the settlement, if it's um, something support related, or if it's just something asset related where you're dividing things up, if you and your soon to be X just cannot come to a place of agreement, take the Delta, the difference in where he's at and where you're at and agree to place that into a 529 plan for your kids, for their college Mm. education. Okay. Because once kids turn 18 or they're out of high school, whichever one comes second, the courts can no longer order that either parent pay any kind of support related to the child. So you cannot force a parent to pay for an NYU education. The the parent, you, you can write in private high school and who's responsible for that. But once it comes to college, no court can actually force a parent to pay for a child's college education when they're out of high school and over the age of 18. Mm -hmm. So if you're really at an impasse and you just can't come to an agreement, just say, look, then neither of us will take it. We're going to open a 529. It's going to go for the kids. And when it comes time to pay for NYU, we'll decide who's got what at that point, but this is going to get us started. Okay. Mm -hmm. This will pay for the first year of NYU while we figure this out or something like that, something of the like, or a quarter of the first year or a quarter, quarter, you know, (laughs) and yeah, you have to find some creative tactics sometimes because as strongly as you believe in your position, trust me, they believe in theirs at least as strongly. Mm -hmm. So it can be hard to talk people off and just to get the deal done. Sometimes you do have to hold your, nose and give something you didn't want to give. Just make sure that you're not giving up too, too much. And uh, again, a financial professional can really help you understand the different kinds of assets and which ones are a better give up for you and your goals and your future. So, you know, you don't have to do it alone, certainly. 
No, not at all. And and also, you know, for all those guys out there, you know, uh, I'm assuming it's the guys committing the financial, I, I, I don't want to do that, but let's just uh, pretend for a minute. It's in your best interest and your children's best interest for uh, the mother of your children to be in a good position financially. You do not want them running out of money. You, you don't want them to be in a bad spot where, uh, you know, the time that they spend with your child is uh, marred by stress and fear and everything else. You know, in most states, most arrangements can be modified later. So depending on the kind of arrangement that you made, she runs out of money and has a significant need and your business has been doing very well. Uh, the door is not completely closed for her to seek a modification if something happens to, um, to, uh, to her. So just mm-hmm. keep that in mind. You know, um, you're still in this together, whether you're doing That's it right. uh, as a married couple or as a divorced couple, you, right. uh, you, you want your ex-spouse to be in a decent position financially. So. Absolutely. Kimberly, thank you so much. This is, as always, so much really um, important information. So where can people find you? You can find me, um, my, uh, my Forbes column is active. I write articles there monthly, so you can see a lot of uh, articles on timely subjects there. Um, Kimberly R. Nelson, Forbes, just Google that, you'll find my column. Um, I work for Coastal Bridge Advisors, that's my firm. I manage money for clients there, coastalbridgeadvisors.com or by email, knelson at coastalbridgeadvisors.com. Send me an email, let me know how you're doing. Uh, again, Kate, I thank you so much for the important work that you're doing for the community and uh, bringing people together like this and talking about these very important but difficult to discuss issues that uh, everyone needs to hear about. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Always such a pleasure to talk to you and have you on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.